Hello, welcome to HFMA Talk, the podcast for NHS finance. I'm Sarah Day, Policy and Research Manager at the HFMA. In this episode, we talk to Anthony Robson. Anthony is the Finance Director at QE Facilities, a wholly owned subsidiary company of Gateshead Health NHS Foundation Trust. Estates and facilities teams have played a key role in enabling the NHS to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic, as hospitals have had to rapidly adapt their premises to work on an almost single disease basis. Anthony describes how his organisation has supported the NHS through the pandemic, not only delivering estates and facilities services, but also helping to protect against fraud when some seek to take advantage of the crisis. Hello, Anthony. Thank you so much for finding time to talk to us today. Hello, Sarah. Nice to meet you. So could you start by telling us a bit about your role and your organisation and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, my main role is, is finance director for QE Facilities Limited, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Gated Health NHS Foundation Trust. So primarily um, finance based, uh, leading the finance team, leading the company. Um, and, you know, that, that is my my primary role. And so what's the uh, purpose of QE Facilities? How come you are a, a wholly owned subsidiary? Well, um, what we did five years ago now, five and a half years ago, was um, set up a, a subsidiary company um, in order to enable the FT to really build on its income base um, and, and, and help towards the financial um sort of crisis that was prevalent throughout the service i think um at the time and following sort of years of um you know what what everybody described as austerity we came up with you know various innovations to try and um step outside of the box if you want um qe facilities was born very much of mm. commercial um aspects of, of of bringing sort of external commerciality into the nhs arena um, a, a lot of dependency was always born on services that were, were contracted um, out services. Um, and in many cases, you know, what we, we thought would um, we would be able to produce the same level of service, but from within. So it, it was okay. very much um, something that we hoped would enable success um, out in the commercial market and, and be able to um compete with commercial companies who were currently delivering services within the NHS um where we we ended up going was was um down a road which which started in in one direction and, and turned in several other directions um as as time went on um but you know nevertheless what we have now is a is a fully fledged operational subsidiary company that delivers um, facilities and estate services to um, our own hospital in, in its entirety. So what we, we like to think is that what we have created is a, is a new model for the NHS for the non-healthcare services provided to the NHS. So in essence, what we've done at, at Gateshead has taken over the whole of the site. Um, we've actually purchased the, the leasehold of the site and we lease the site back to the FT with all of the um, basically operated healthcare facilities services that they need to deliver healthcare. 
So we are in essence um, responsible for the buildings, the the air quality, the the temperature, the water, um, the you know, if if you so a good analogy is if if you take a patient into an operating theatre, um, what we uh, provide is everything, um, except the surgeon. So we will provide the the operating table, the the quality of the air, um, the airflow, the sterility of all of the instruments and all of the equipment, the sterility of the room, and provide adequate services for the FT to carry out that, um, operation. So so basically we've done that on a, on a large scale. We've also um, stepped outside and, and started to provide estate management services for uh, another trust locally uh, and taken on estate management for another, another hospital. And we're currently just about to provide um, estate management services for nine further buildings for another trust. In addition to that, um, we have a very proud record of um, providing transport and you know we started off providing safe transport um in particular for specialist pathology samples which had previously gone missing um on route to hospital um we looked yeah. looked at that and thought you know could we do that could we provide that service um and we had thankfully a, a, one of our employees was the next logistics manager and he certainly stepped up um to the plate and we now provide um, specialist pathology transport for um, well, the three acute hospitals um, in, in the northeast, 250 or so GPs, and then 1,400, um, up to 2,000 further clinics um, and GP sort of establishments from Berwick now down to Lincolnshire as part of the HPV contract, oh. which we successfully um, obtained last year. In addition to that, we've also won um, the West Midlands contract and we now provide um, successfully services to, to Coventry um, and, and Warwickshire and do, you know, another 250 or so GPs and um, eight or nine, I think, now acute hospitals. And we're currently looking to, to expand into, into Cambridgeshire. So, I mean, you know, it, it sounds really great um but the, the the real benefit of this is this was all previously provided by external providers so that the money um sort of flowed outside of the nhs and you know one of the great ideas of, of the subsidiary from day one was to have more money within the nhs flowing back into the nhs and the great sort of end result of that is everything that we make in terms of profit um, goes back into in, into Gateshead Health. It's consolidated into their financial position, and it's retained within the NHS. So, from a sort of macroeconomic, um, public sector sort of contrast, what you have is that the you know the, the treasury, um, instead of seeing money flowing out into the private sector and the economy that way, it's actually flowing back through ourselves back into the NHS and and retained within the marketplace. That's a vast geographic area that you cover, though. That must take some uh, some management. It, it does. Um, it, it's it's very um, you know it, it's sort of from day one um, expansion is difficult with with any commercial um, venture that you go into. We're, we're very very mindful um, of that, and very mindful as well of, of the support that we get from from our. Um, 
in essence, the, the subsidiary company owner, which is Gateshead Health NHS Foundation Trust. And, you know, without the support of the of the trust, we wouldn't be able to go into these ventures um, off site. But thankfully, you know, they see, um, you know, the benefits of what we do, not just to themselves, but to the to the to the wider NHS. Um, I mean, geographically, we have, you know, sort of contractual interests in, in, in large areas of, of the country now, but, you know, it it's virtually become like a franchise. We have a model that works, works really well. Um, you know, we get samples collected. So, you know, from, from a GP, um, literally, if, if you went to the GP and had a, had a blood sample, we've got that sample to the laboratory within four hours no matter where you are or you know where it is we managed to do that um mm. and it's an exceptional you know feat and provided for by a very um positive and professional uh workforce we, we tend to to recruit a lot of staff from um the who had previously been in the armed forces um who come out so you know we like to recruit staff who were disciplined who in our strap line is very much professional, proud and passionate. And we very much, um, you know, carry that as a mantra through everybody that, that, that comes to work for us. And the beauty of, you know, the, the commerciality of it is that um, we compete with the private sector and win contracts and are able to deliver a better service. The, the, the other side of that, the consequence of that is that we don't provide um, the NHS pension, and 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 simply, if you want to be commercial, um, there's no way you could compete with the commercial sector. So, on day one, we had you know sort of neighbours who had outsourced a lot of their facility services to G4S and um, Sodexo and, and other private sector providers. We didn't want that to happen. We wanted to keep um, you know the service within the NHS. To do that, we had to offer different terms and conditions. But what we do offer is, um, you know, what we certainly consider to be um, reasonable terms and conditions. We don't, you know, um, offer sort of bargain basement, uh, zero hours, minimum wage. We, we offer good rates of pay and, and that's reflected in our staff retention. So we we now have something like 650 at, at the latest count, I think, um, staff on board within the company. And we've gone from day one where we, we provided, um, well, we had turnover, say, of a, a couple of million pounds. We now turn over in excess of 55 million. So we're heading towards 60 million pounds worth of turnover, mm. um, which is, you know, fantastic. It's a fantastic good news story. It really is. Um, so I wanted to ask you about how COVID-19 has impacted you. And I was going to ask you about the North East, but clearly you are spread across different parts of the country. So you've probably had different impacts for different aspects of your operation, absolutely, and in, in, certainly within within the northeast and and elsewhere, um, COVID nineteen has been you know a, a major um, crisis, and it, it it has impacted I think on everybody who works um, in, in virtually in every form of life, but um, particularly around public sector um, workers in particular. From our point of view, what we've we've had to do is. Um, enormous tasks in, in terms of estate management. A lot of people, you know, won't realise that an acute hospital um, isn't built really to service one disease. 
um, and, and, and virtually that's what you know everybody's had to do. So um, in Gateshead, for example, we have um, you know what is it pretty much a, a general hospital, um, a general acute hospital. What we've had to do is to change that um, to still provide a, a sort of scaled back service for non-COVID patients um, by turning the hospital into very much a COVID centre. Um, we've had to isolate the hospital and, and change the hospital um, into something that, that doesn't really look um, like an acute hospital anymore. So, mm. you know, you walk through the, the corridors of the hospital now and you don't see visitors walking around. You don't see um, patients um, walking around in the way that you would have done before. Um, it's very much isolated, very much restricted. And of course, the, the, the sort of main um, thrust of changes that this, you know, this, this terrible um, virus requires ventilation for patients. And, you know, acute hospitals aren't built to ventilate every patient. They're built to um, provide ventilation to a selection of patients, um, but not every patient that, that is um, on a ward, for example. So what we've had to do is to um, literally change the medical gas supply across half of the site so that we can accommodate more patients who need um, ventilation. It, it's such you know a critical time, um, particularly of, of this illness. That's you know provided a huge sort of tactical and operational challenge for our estates guys, um, and we've literally um, worked day and night to to ensure that the provision of the right and effective service um, was there for all of the COVID patients that we've had in, and um, you know thankfully um, we've we've managed to do that. And through what was the, you know, the, the recent peak, um, we never had any shortage of, of ventilation um, for, for those patients who needed it. And I think for everybody, in, including um, myself, if, you know, you think back to some of the frightening videos that we've seen from some of the hospitals in northern Italy, um, you know, all, all we can say is that, you know, God forbid we... We looked at that and learned um, and ensured that, you know, that didn't happen um, back back in back in the UK. And I think that's that has been reflected across the country. Um, the other side of it, I think, Sarah, is that many people have, have seen their roles change. And the, I think the great thing about the NHS is, is the teamwork and, and that strength from within that, that people find to be able to um, change direction when they need to um, to provide the quality um, that the service requires at a given time and yeah. from the, the sort of non-healthcare point of view you know what we've seen is some dramatic changes in sort of transportation for example so our transport guys uh, are normally out on the road every day collecting samples from everywhere and bringing them back to, to the laboratory on site um, that's pretty much changed dramatically because all of a sudden you haven't got HPV tests going on in clinics. Um, a lot of routine tests have been scaled right back. So we had a, a sort of surplus um, of, of, of transport available, really. Uh, but what we've done is, is, is turn that into a positive by, um, you know, giving more resource up to those who need it locally. So we've... Um, 
sort of change the way in, in which we do discharge um, on the site. We've taken over the, the discharge lounge um, and provided um, patient transport services to get patients literally from the hospital um, back home once they've, they've, they've been discharged. Um, that's been really positive and is, is sort of um, ensured that the discharge experience for a patient has been enacted more quickly than it was before and has been a very positive experience for both the patients and um, for our our guys who've, who've loved um, doing it and involve, being involved with it. Um, on, you know, in other cases, we've had to turn our hands to, to more um, more of the distressing tasks that you have to do in, in, in a crisis. So obviously the, the number of, um, you know, deaths within, within the community and um, within the hospital has, has risen over the crisis and we've had to um, work alongside um, some of our military colleagues to provide adequate um, mortuary facilities um, on, on, on the site um, at Gateshead as others have done in, in other places. So we've got a, a temporary mortuary facility that expands the capacity on site so that, you know, when people die within the community, there's something um you know the, the, there's literally the service there to help um ensure that they are um you know brought into a a, a sort of place where they the the, the trek with absolute dignity um through that that process through and you know that's that's been difficult and difficult um you know to to, to be part of in in many respects we you know we've had to buy vehicles at short notice have them adapted um, literally because local funeral directors um, haven't been able to cope. Um, and, and that's widespread across the NHS. But it's one of the things that just happens in the background. And, you know, you, nobody wants to read about it in, in the newspaper or hear about it. You just, it's 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 one of those things which is an expectation, really, um, where people just do rise to the occasion. Um, and it it's, you know, the, I could tell you a, a thousand and one sort of stories from the, the sort of COVID experience. But I mean, for, for all of us, um, for myself as a, as a director, I've been probably involved in, in many more operational uh, meetings. Um, I'm on call um, for days and, and some weekends. Um, so from, from a tactical point of view, if, if QE facilities has any issue, and, and there could be many, um, you know, we're there um, on site working with people to, to ensure that any sort of um, crisis, um, immediate crisis with, with a service provision is averted quickly. So, I mean, it, you know, it, it, a little example of that today, I've, I've just spoken earlier to um, a lady who's a director of a company who's flown some um, PPE supplies into Heathrow um, and they are currently as we speak I'm, I'm looking at my watch um, they are about an hour and 20 minutes away from our hospital now which is fantastic news because there's a, a thousand gowns which are in real short supply um, and, and these ones can actually be reused so they can be re-sterilized which is, is even better so you know it, it's it's looking at um the, the sort of provision of, of things that you wouldn't normally inv be involved with. PPE is, is you know, the, the countrywide, worldwide shortage. Um, and, you know, you've got to step away from a lot of the things that we see in the press to appreciate that 
people are going to absolutely enormous lengths. And that's people within the NHS, outside of the NHS, um, nationally and internationally to help others um, be provided with the equipment that they need to treat um, you know, the, the patients of this, this terrible illness. And it, it has been difficult because nobody could have envisaged the amount of PPE that would have been needed. You know, no government in the world um, recognised that. And it's, you know, you're left to work together with everybody to try and make it happen. And, you know, touch wood today, we've made it happen. And, you know, that's with the help of, of people who normally provide PPE to the building industry, the construction industry, you know, asbestos removal. You've had all sorts of people stepping forward to say, oh, we've got some PPE, you can use this. And, you know, that's been absolutely fantastic. But from the logist logistics point of view, um, you know, one of the things that, that I've been involved personally with is to provide um, a service from procurement um, and financial and um, in, in terms of distribution um, to help out care homes across the northeastern Cumbria. So the CCG, um, CCGs locally and in, in NHS um, I&E have, have, you know, realised that potentially what we have is, is a crisis within the community because, you know, vast numbers of care homes, you know, funeral directors and, um, you know, other sort of community based services just didn't have the PPE that they needed. Um, and what we've done is QE facilities has um, in essence procured that on their behalf um, from sort of framework and non-framework providers. And, you know, that, that's been a huge challenge because we've had to move, you know, vast amount of um, PPE out to communities. Um, but at the same time, move vast amounts of money around the service to make it work. Um, yeah. And, you know, that in itself is, is um, well, the, the the accountant for it would put most accountants off because everybody's dealing with somebody else's goods. <laughs> um, so have you had to... Um... Had to change your procurement processes at all then to deal with with that just the speed of having to buy stuff. Yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the the big things that we've seen is um, the the resurgence of, of something I hadn't myself seen since I think the nineteen eighties, um, which is the pro forma invoice, and the pro forma invoice is is the invoice that demands money up front before goods um, are dispatched and. This is, you know, a huge risk, um, something that in the NHS we wouldn't normally do. Um, and across the public sector, you wouldn't normally do it. You wouldn't normally see it. We have very strict procurement framework um, contracts in place to, to enable things to happen, um, you know, where, where people get paid quickly within 30 days, but certainly not uh, paid up front in, in the vast amounts that we've seen. And this is, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because you've got... Um, the, the, the crisis within the financial market and the, the, the sort of commercial market generally is one where all of a sudden there's a shortage of cash because, you know, a lot of companies aren't doing what they would normally do. They're not um, generating the income. They haven't got the cash um, to be able to lay out on, on orders. And, and genuinely, they're saying, um, actually, we haven't got the cash. Can you pay us up front? Um, you know, in, in most cases, we're saying, yeah, we'll do that. Mm. We've got a lot of companies that are coming to the fore for the right reasons to say, um, we can help. We have a supply of PPE. Um, 
You know, I mean, for example, I've spoken to a cleaning company who specialise in cleaning laboratories. So they have um, a supplier who they have very high quality PPE to ensure that when they go in um, to sterile um, areas to clean them, you know, they, they, they continue to, to provide that sterility from, from um, entering the building to, to leaving it. So we've been able to procure some um, PPE from from quite strange sort of um, places. The the other side of it is it opens the door to um, to fraud. I'm national chair of, of the, the VAT committee, so that's the, the sort of NHS um, HFMA-based committee that's the only face-to-face um, meeting that, that's carried out with HMRC from an NHS point of view. So I have a lot of colleagues in, in HMRC who are very good at, at distributing um, information very quickly about things that aren't going as, 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 as well as they would like and, and things that look irregular. So one of these is um, you know, unfortunate incidents of fraud, um, which is often something that that happens on the back um, of a crisis, you know, and yeah. you've got people who will literally set up a company um, and on the face of it, it will look everything um, like like a real company. Um, they will say that they will provide PPE um, send you an invoice um, and say, we'll need money up front. And, you know, that that's the danger that, you know, the, the, the public sector is defrauded by um, people who are, who are willing to to sort of take advantage of this situation. Thankfully, um, we've averted anything touch wood up, up to now. I mean, we always do a very, uh, on, on anybody that we, we work with, we check with HMRC that they're registered, um, that they're registered for, um, you know, the, the, the right sort of tax levels um, that they're re- registered for VAT where appropriate, um, where they've, they've actually made payments to HMRC and it's not just a company that's been set up three days ago. Um, I have, you know, sort of um, refused orders of three or four companies, probably who were, you know, absolutely viable, but they just didn't have the history to, for, for me to have the confidence to place an order with them. Um, right. Others, we've got, um, you know, companies who, who are new to providing um, services to the NHS, but have some history behind them that we've worked successfully with and will probably continue to partner with in the future. Um, so it, it's opened up new doors and new horizons, but at the same time, um, you know, the, the difficulty is that you have people who take advantage of it. I mean, we've just literally had in Gates of Today um, an invoice that was sent in um, to our um, financial services department for £50,000 asking for payment um, with regards to, to COVID-19 services. And it was found to be totally fraudulent and, and just literally something wow. that's been sent out, um, you know, to, to any NHS body that can get the details on. Um, and that will have probably been replicated through, you know, 50, 50 or 60 hospitals now across the country. Um, we've, you know, reported that straight back. We've also reported that back to HMRC. So, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be a sort of an alert goes out on counter fraud. Um, but it's always, you know, particularly from the finance point of view, something we are always mindful of. And, you know, that that's one of the things that we've certainly learned through this crisis is, um, you need to be extremely vigilant about being taken advantage of. Just going back to your uh, discussion about estates and the changes that you've had to make in order to deal with uh, COVID-19, 
thinking about the future, hospitals are going to look quite different, I think, in order to be able to deal with having a mix of people who, who have and have not got COVID. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think, you know, what what we've seen over the last um, sort of few months is, is changes where, for example, we closed four of our um, operating theatres and then another four operating theatres and converted um, those to additional sort of critical care capacity. So, you know, you've got ventilation equipment in um, the operating theatre itself. We, you can change that to, to ensure that you've got um, in essence, a four-bedded unit to to treat ventilated patients. So, um, the the lack of sort of elective activity over the period has allowed us to 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 change the way in which we run the hospital. A lot of that um has been a temporary facility. Um, we've converted you know many um traditional wards into COVID wards. So we've put additional equipment in there for ventilation, additional gas services, um, new valves, um, a whole raft of um, different fire precautions. Because obviously one of the things that, that raises um, the, the, the sort of risk of, of, of fire-based um, incidents is, is, you know, literally filling a place full of oxygen and, and medical gas. Um, and, uh, you know, the, there's there's an awful lot of um, sort of health and safety issues around the changes that you make to, to a ward at, at any time. Going forward, it's the ability to be able to have COVID um, areas that are totally isolated from the rest of the hospital. Obviously, um you know, you, you need to provide those specialist services um, that need to be provided within that isolated unit. You need to be able to provide the, the, the level of, of safety for the rest of the hospital. So the transportation of a patient from, from say, um, your, your sort of front door A&E to um, an isolated unit has to be taken very seriously and, and has to be managed very carefully. Um, you don't want you know cross contamination on route. You don't really want people um who are non COVID um coming into contact with a a COVID patient um and and that you know goes for staff as well um so it's you know it, it's it's there's you know a much more heightened approach to PPE um to the control of infection control of infection departments have have come to the forefront in this to ensure that you have um you know, that absolute flow throughout the hospital, um, which is safe to contain uh, contamination, really. So in, in future, it's difficult because, you know, some of our wards and departments are reverting back to traditional um, use as we speak now. Um, and, and that will happen over the next, um, you know, couple of weekends and, and weeks um, as we trans transform things back to the norm. But then we keep some COVID capacity in with, with isolation, but to have the ability to react quickly to another peak. So, you know, there is an expectation, nobody is is sort of complacent. Um, there is an expectation that we will have another peak within time and we need to be able to revert back to to literally deliver what we've delivered over the um the recent peak in the same way. So it's it's having the ability, I think, to transform parts of the hospital quickly um, but having the understanding that you have the, the services behind the scenes to be able to deliver that 
um, you know, the, the, the sort of use of PPE now, I think going forward will be absolutely paramount. Um, and the, the, I think the, the information that's come out from the centre to enable everybody um, to understand what level of PPE you need for, for staff um, across the whole spectrum um, is, you know, one which you can now plan for much more carefully going forward. Because, you know, in, in the earlier days of this crisis, you know, we didn't really um, understand um, just the, the, the sort of depth um, that we'd, you know, we'd, we'd have to go to when the, the breadth of service change. And I think, you know, a lot of lessons have, have learned, have been learned now um, to carry that forward to ensure that we, we've got that capacity and we've got the service capacity and the operational change um, to be able to move quickly. One of the, I mean, one of the areas is 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 just basically, um, you know, moving to seven day working, and it's been muted, you know, throughout the NHS for a long time. If we if we had seven day working, we'd be able to reduce waiting lists and, um, you know, be more efficient overall. In many cases, that hasn't happened under COVID. It's it's had to happen, so we have gone to seven day working. Um, it has been successful um we have delivered everything that we've needed to deliver without interruption and that's certainly something although we've reverted back um to an extent of five day working at the minute in some departments because it hasn't um we haven't got the the activity because of the the drop in the covid cases um to merit that but the other side of it is it's it's trying to revert back to treat all of those patients who probably should have been treated over the last um you know period of of, of the covid crisis where their um mm. you know healthcare is, is is sort of being um to an extent put on hold a little bit so you've got all of the normal outpatient flows starting to come back into the system people who you know may have had operations cancelled because they weren't um sort of critical to be carried out those patients are starting to come back in and um you know we have patients who are being treated private facilities um for um you know gynae cancer patients um and, and some um some specialist chemo services and that may be something that continues in the future where it's more beneficial to treat some of those patients um, out of the acute site because of the vulnerability um, given the, the you know the rate of infection um, with with the COVID crisis so yeah it, it's 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 you know huge changes I think going forward and some of those um, you know we, we'll understand more as time goes by. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? I suppose one of the other things is is from the financial perspective um the whole of the you know the the world economy is in turmoil um as is the nhs economy um the ability to move vast amounts of money um at very short notice through the system um to enable all of these services and transactions to take place um has been you know a huge sort of feat in itself um and and i think you know, credit to um to the, the, the central government and the Whitehall departments for making that happen. 
Um, you know, I spoke to a colleague from, from NHS England who said on, on the 1st of April, they moved something like £30 billion around the system. And, and that's just, you know, unheard of. Um, and the unprecedented amount of money that's been made available to allow us to deliver the services that we need to ensure that patients have an uninterrupted, um, you know, cycles of treatment for, for COVID um, has been, you know, fantastic. I think in, in terms of going forward, it is going to impact on the way that um, financially services work in the future and how you cope with um, an, an, an emerging crisis which literally throws the whole of the NHS market into you know absolute turmoil because you know I think the 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 I suppose um, to resume the block contracts across the board is the only way that um, seemed to to work um, the sort of geographical necessity to change services from from one place to another has been huge and then. The you know the, the necessity to put into place um the Nightingale hospitals has been you know carried out at lightning pace and although we haven't needed them to the capacity the fact that they were there provided so much confidence to everybody else in the service and you know we have that as a backup going yeah. forward to know that well you know should it come that we we haven't got the ventilated capacity for patients within hospitals then you know we've got nightingale hospitals that are sitting there as a, as a safety net um and you know that does provide an awful lot of confidence to everybody who's in the service but the difficulty going forward will be you know a resumption of um normal financial practices from from a finance point of view and the the ability to be able to resort back to um, you know, the, the control of traditional budgets. Mm. And just out of interest, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's not needed. So lots of beds and equipment and, and so on. What's, what's going to happen to all of that? Well, I think the, the um, you know, the, the, the great thing about um, uh, the NHS is that it is extremely good at, at maintaining equipment and um you know you'll you'll find i mean there's some you know great examples that I know of locally in 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 other hospitals where the medical electronics departments tend to be you know absolute wizards in in keeping bits of kit going um a lot of the the sort of additional equipment that we've brought in because of covid will to be quite honest be you know used probably um throughout its 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 normal lifetime anyway and re- will replace bits of kit that should have been replaced already but they've been kept going by um very good engineers i mean you know we we've got sort of ecg machines that are 30 years old that still work um and they'll be passed down the line to to an appropriate level of where they need it but if you have a new piece of kit come that, that comes in you know you've virtually got a sort of grandfathering arrangement where um you know somebody will receive a piece of kit because of that down the line where where things are, are sort of passed along um in terms of you know uh, beds and, and and things like that beds you know we, we've probably got um a, you know a, a sort of 20 or 30 beds that we don't need at the minute in, in and I mean physical um actual beds that are stored in in, in rooms um, they'll all come into 
come into use within the next few years anyway. It's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a natural cycle of replacement. Some things, you know, you're going to have ventilation equipment where there's probably going to end up being a surplus of it um, as a consequence of this, you know, this disease. I think that's something that it can always be used again in future. Um, you're going to have further spikes of it. And, you know, it, it's it's having those resources to fall back on isn't such a bad thing. And, you know, within the service as a whole, in its entirety, I'm sure everything will get used eventually. We're very good at, at, at using equipment um, over time. Um, and, you know, that's been sort of borne by the fact that some of the um the pandemic flu stocks that were still sitting in hospitals you know that, that have been there for, for 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 some years now have been used during this crisis so you know we're very good at not throwing things away in the nhs and very good at looking after them <laughs> thank you so much for talking to us today anthony that's been so interesting Thank you. to get a, You're welcome. yeah it's been really interesting to get a view from um, a different perspective actually we haven't heard much about the estates and the equipment so that's been great excellent thank you it's been a pleasure all of the hfma's covid19 related briefings blogs and news articles are openly available on our website hfma.org.uk there is no need to be a member to access these so please tell your colleagues we have also launched a forum where finance colleagues from across the NHS can discuss issues and challenges in a safe space. You can sign up via the link in the network section on our website. If there are particular topics you would like future podcasts to cover, then please get in touch via our email address, policy at hfma.org.uk. Thank you for listening to HFMA Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date with new episodes. 